G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 60 of the Outback Mind podcast. Anxiety, uh, it's a pretty hot topic now, anxiety and depression, and the common words that we, we never spoke uh, not so long ago, uh, anxiety and depression was not really recognised uh, or, or common. Um, in modern life, with all the stimulation that we have these days, all the distractions, anxiety is very, very common, uh, unfortunately. And I've had you know, a long journey with anxiety, unconsciously, but also over the last few years, I've been more, made more aware of it, obviously. And I wrote a book about my own journey, and um, I could have went a lot deeper um, with regards to what I wrote there, and. Um, Today's guest, Mitch Morton, um, former AFL player, played with the uh, West Coast Eagles, Richmond and Sydney Swans, played in a premiership with the Sydney Swans as well. He had a, a really deep battle with anxiety, or he still continues to, uh, but he's managing it really well. Uh, 15 years, pretty much, he he suffered with this. And um, you know, Mitch and I, I think, are going to have a pretty deep conversation with regards to what anxiety actually is to the both of us and, and what it is to... I suppose the average uh, you know, person out there with regards to understanding it and also being able to bring some tools into your life so you can manage it. And I just think because we were probably brought up you know, really rushed um, you know, in many ways as kids, that sort of makes us tense. And if you've had some form of trauma or whatever in your life, you can automatically become anxious without actually even knowing it. And, and I didn't know it either. And um, it still sort of you know, pops up... Um, in my own game every day, but uh, I need to be able to, well, I, I, I manage it, you know, okay, I observe it and I manage it well, and I'm sure Mitch is, you know, the same, and he's doing what, what he can now to be able to help raise awareness through an organisation he set up called Mr Anxiety, so he does a lot of um, uh, public speaking about this, but also some educational workshops, so I'm going to learn about uh, Mitch and his journey and what he's actually doing to try and change the stereotype with regards to anxiety and mental health in general and sort of raise the consciousness uh, of all the listeners out there so we can basically have a better, underst- uh, better understanding of our mental well-being so we can look after ourselves a bit better. So please uh, here enjoy our conversation. Just want to say special mention to our primary partners, Green Nutritionals, who make green organic superfoods which are really good for our physical and mental health. Our gut health and our mental health are intertwined, and if we can get that working well, then we have a better life. So, really encourage you to check them out. Green Nutritionals at Comedy also a Pure Life Sprouted Bakery, so they make sprouted organic breads, which are much better for our digestive health, being sprouted rather than traditional products that go into into breads which aren't sprouted. Take a lot of work to digest, so. Uh, really great to have them on board. They make some tremendous products, and I'd love you to check their website out, purelifebakery.com.au. Their products are available all around Australia. Alrighty, sit back, listen to Mitch and I going at it. I'm sure you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Mitch Morton, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Hi, mate. Thanks very much for uh, having me on. Yeah, um, no. oh, pleasure. Good to be here. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're sitting over in WA at the moment, so a couple of hours behind, and... Um, yeah, mate. Uh, look, uh, really, really grateful for you joining me here. Obviously, to talk about your your mental health journey, but obviously a bit about the footy uh, career that you had, and uh, a lot of people would remember you running around. I think uh, primarily, I remember you as a Sydney player, but you also had a fair career with West Coast and Richmond. Is that right? 
Yeah, I had. I, I mean, I I played for nine years total. Uh, I actually played the most games for for any club that I played for in Melbourne at the Richmond Tigers. So that was probably the most uh, consistently kind of uh, successful years that I had, where I was kind of playing a lot. Uh, my years at West Coast and Sydney were were mostly spent in the reserves, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, unreal. But you you were lucky enough to play in a premiership at Sydney. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm one of the uh, one of the, the the luckiest people to ever play in a grand final. I think I <laughs> I only played five games of the. Uh, well, Sydney would have played twenty five games, twenty four, twenty five games that year, and I was only only there for five. So, mm. very 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 lucky to to be part of that. And I think from memory, you are. I think Ben McGlynn might have been uh, unwell or, or injured or something, and, and you came in for him. Is that right? Oh, it's a little bit more complex than that. But yeah, I came in for somebody else at the start of the finals, but then he got injured uh, during the final series. So if he got up to the grand final, yeah, I'm not sure who who would have played. Uh, mm. Obviously, he would have come in. I'm not sure who would have gone out. There's a fair chance it would have been me, though. <laughs> Oh, mate, everything happens for a reason. So it's it, you've had the experience and, mate, uh, I think you're doing great things outside of footy now. And I just want to tell us a bit about your journey, Mitch. So you're brought up in WA and you uh, you sort of come through the ranks there, got drafted and so forth. And we'll, we'll sort of move on to the mental health thing um, uh, as we go with regards to you know your own experience and so forth. But could you just give us a bit of a, a background of, of where you were brought up? I think your dad, Noel, uh, played for Claremont, didn't he, and played quite a few games there. Yeah, he did. So my parents are both from a very small farming community called Newdigate, which is about 400 kilometres southeast of Port. So yeah. uh, it's only a small little town. There's only five or six or seven streets there, and um, most people uh, know each other. You know, everyone knows each other really well. It's a very tight-knit little community. Mm-hmm. So they grew up there, and my father was lucky enough to come up and play for uh, seven or eight years at the Claremont Tigers, so that was good. And then he headed back down to the bush, um, which is where he had a family. So that's where I grew up, Newdigate and Lake Grace. Lake Grace is obviously famous for being the hometown of Nat Fife. Yeah, right. And in more, re- and in more recent times, Liam Baker, who's won a couple of grand finals with the, the Richmond Tigers as well. He's from, from Pingaring, which is very close to Lake Grace as well. So, yeah, I grew up in the bush out there. I was shipped off to boarding school when I was 13 years old, which I absolutely loved. I couldn't believe how much fun it was. Um, went to boarding school for five years and then from there I was straight into the AFL. I finished my last exam on a Thursday afternoon at 4pm and I started training with the West Coast Eagles at 6am the next morning. So I uh, missed out on leaders and all that sort of fun stuff. I was straight into it and then uh, yeah, then I was lucky enough to play AFL for, for nine years. Did you have a couple of brothers that played AFL as well? I did, yeah. I had a brother, Kale, who played for Melbourne and then he spent a year on West Coast rookie list, and I had a brother Jared who played for Hawthorne. That's right. Yeah, unbelievable. So you got a pretty good footballing pedigree in your family, mate. Well, the way I stayed is there's not much to do in Lake Grace other than play sport. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. you know Lake Grace sits on a couple of massive salt lakes, and there's not much to do on a salt lake when there's no water in it. Yeah. So uh, so you get good at playing playing sport, I guess. So mate, unbelievable. Like I'm from a little country town, and a lot of people that listen to this are as well. And, you know, you know the, the whole the whole platform the the, the 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 I suppose the ethos of this platform is to try and reach guys out there that are on you know are in small communities and rural properties and so forth that 
maybe struggling with a few things so they can sort of learn from people like ourselves. So that's really great to hear that you, you know, you've already had that experience. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's funny. I certainly think that the way I was brought up, not specifically from my parents, but in the, you know, the country farming, you know, rural communities back then, you know, in the 90s when I grew up, we're, we're a little bit kind of, you know, get on with it, shut up and get on with it. Yeah. Um, and that, that was certainly a little bit of the way that I was taught to, 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 to hit, go at life. And, and I tried that for a very long time and look where it got me. It got me nowhere. So um, these days I say to people, you know, my idea of what being tough is has changed a lot. So mm. I consider being tough now doing everything that you can do within your power to be the best version of yourself for your family and friends. So... Mm. You know, that's certainly not how I looked at it 20 years ago, but I guess I've kind of changed the way that I look at toughness and, and, and how to get the best out, out of yourself in life. Um, and that's how I explain it now. How old are you now, Mitch? I'm 34. 34. So you're, you're still young enough to be playing football if you are, if you are, you know, you are, you are serious about it, I guess. And, mate, you know, for you to be able to, to, to go through the journey to, to come to where you are now, with regards to your own issues with anxiety, when did this all start? Well, it, it, oh, I, I was quite young when I started having difficulties with it. I was seven or eight when I started to struggle to um, to with performance anxiety and things like that. And then slowly, as I got older, by the time I was 16 or 17 and in my final year of schooling, that's when I really started to struggle with it and kind of withdraw and it started to really affect my relationships and my life mm. um, and then as an adult I guess it got worse and worse and obviously playing in a in a competition that's very very competitive and in the public eye you know it certainly didn't help mm. um, but it wasn't really until I guess two and a half years ago that I hit rock bottom I can probably call it that I decided you know enough's enough and I'm going to do something about it mm. mate um We'll we'll go back over the journey, but how, what did that look like two and a half years ago? I had broken up with a, a partner that at the time I considered to be someone that I wanted to you know spend my life with, and and she left me because I was um, you know wasn't the type of person that she wanted to be with. My behaviour was not really in line with my values in life. But when you've had anxiety for fifteen years and you you start to self-medicate and you start to fall off the rails and that's where I was at. So mm, mm. Um, I won't go into the particulars. People can use their imagination, but drinking, drugs, gambling, sex, you know, all those things that people do when they're not happy with themselves. Yeah. I gave all of those a, a red-hot dip and, uh, yeah, I was really struggling. I'd, I'd lost touch with all my friends. I was driving an Uber for $14 an hour. Uh, mm. My anxiety was so bad that I couldn't physically drive the Uber for long enough each day to pay for the bills that I had to pay to live. So I had a car loan, I had a home loan, mm. I had credit card debt, and I physically couldn't get myself through the day. So I was in a, a world of hurt. Mm. Um, and yeah, I had a, a phone call with that ex-partner and realized that she'd moved on and she didn't want to know me anymore. And that hurt me that much that I decided to get angry at my anxiety because it, at that point it pretty much ruled my whole life. And I decided I was going to go away and actually figure out what anxiety was and come up with my own way of dealing with it because until that point I trusted other people to tell me what to do but one thing I've learned through this whole last two and a half years is, is you're the one that needs to come up with the answer. Mm. So you can go and find information from other people but you need to come up with something that works for you. 
So yeah. we are all very, very unique as individuals. We're so unique mentally, just like our fingerprints are physically. So people need to go out there and find their own, you know, way of dealing with it. And that's what I was able to do and turn it around. And now my life's a lot better. Mitch, yeah, you hit on something really important there. In Western Western cultures, we, we do think it's one size fit, fits all with regards to yeah. you know yep. our diets, yep. our mental health, everything. Everyone should be doing the same, but it's really not the case. And and that's a beautiful way of putting it. You know, just like our fingerprint, our, our mental uh, ability or mental capacity is different. And um, you know, I just think uh, just getting off track a bit. Their education system sort of gears people the one way, without actually looking at the individual as being quite unique and being able to to foster what they have within their own capabilities. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think that uh, the best way that I've ever heard this explained is that, you see, you and I, we see the world very differently. So all of our values, experiences, our beliefs, uh, everything we've ever gone through in our life creates this kind of filter that we see the world through. Now, that can be said for the other 7 billion people on the planet. Mm. We all look at the world from a very, very different perspective. So in that light, there actually, there actually isn't an actual world because we all see the world differently. There's actually, there's actually 7 billion worlds. So there are actually that many versions of the world that we all see it so differently, yet we think that people can take all of the same information and come up with the same answer. But in reality, that, that, that's impossible. So mm-hmm. we need to get better as a society at teaching people the skills to go away and come up with their own answers to unique problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Mitch, it's, it's really, really beautiful to hear a young man say that because uh, for you, obviously at 32 or 31, to be able to sort of like really question this and, and dive deep into your own healing, I think it's really important because that lived experience and being able to sort of hit rock bottom and sort of move out of it is really a great way to, to not only understand yourself, but just not seek guidance from someone that may be steering you in the wrong direction. I just believe we've got to be able to listen to the teacher within and then all the answers will start to come. You can sort of see where your mind's going and I was lucky enough years ago to, to, to go into Buddhism quite heavily and that sort of taught me about when my mind's at speed to be able to you know come back through the gears um, yep. and get yep. back to that neutrality yep. again. And I just think, um, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't have um, the awareness around it. Like through the school system, you know, the, the foot's on the accelerator, which is the amygdala primarily, and, and that's sort of activated all the time, you know, and we, we don't, mm. we don't mm. know how to sort of slow that down. And, um, you know, through your, through, your, through your footy career and beyond, you just would have been so... Um, I suppose wound up consistently like a top, um, without actually giving that uh, that top a break. And um, you know, a lot of people go through life, um, you know, on full throttle consistently. And the only way to relax is to have a beer or smoke a cone or um, you know take some other form of amphetamine or whatever to switch off. But I just think we need to understand the tension in our bodies so we can actually start to wind that back consistently and. Um, you know, mate, um, it's really pleasing to hear you say uh, what you have because the awareness um, is starting to, to get you know, better and better. We've still got a long way, way to go. Yeah, I think, I, honestly, what you just said there is, mate, you just knocked it out of the park. That is exactly spot on. You know, what you've said there about Buddhism and, and, and learning to, to slow the, the mind and the body down, 
um, you know, we spend a lot of time in modern society talking about the kind of top-down approach where our mind is controlling, uh, you know, the world. But in, at the end of the day, our mind and our body are actually constantly working together. Mm. So they both play a role in that. And if you look at a lot of Eastern, uh, you know, their their religions, but at the end of the day, their their philosophies and their their ways of living. And if you look at the way that they view the whole mind-body connection, you know, they spend a lot of time just sitting and, and getting used to feelings and emotions and se- sensations. Mm. And that can have, have, have a very powerful effect on the mind in turn. So I think we just need to get better as, as a society at seeing the whole picture of what's happening mm. and not just taking it from, from, from the kind of top-down approach. Because when you're not in a good frame of mind, it's very hard to use that mind to get out of that frame of mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. So sometimes it's about just getting out of it, getting back into to, to your body and allowing yourself to just kind of sit and sit with things and feel them and, and slowly you know, get used to things. Absolutely, yeah. and it can be really confronting and challenging to do that. Uh, you know, most people when they're still there, they're, they're connected to a device or they're connected to a TV or whatever, but just to be able to sit and actually like be rather than do, um, is, yeah, is, that's spot on. Yeah, it's not it's a spot skill. on. I mean, Go. if you look at, I have this thing that I talk about a lot, which I call the 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 be. I call it being, and then B E I N G being the being spectrum. If you look at one end, we have uh, you know people that have severe mental health issues who can't really just sit with themselves and be, can they at all? Mm-hmm. So you look at the other end of the spectrum, and you have kind of a Buddhist monk. So we float on that spectrum somewhere, but at the end of the day, we want to kind of get closer to the end, which is towards kind of being happy and enlightened like Buddhist monks are, which is hard to do in our society. I, I get that. Mm. But we want to push towards that end as much as we can. And if you look at what those those Buddhist monks do, they just, they just they be, don't they? They just sit and they be and they let things just happen. Mm. And they don't try to influence things. They try, don't try to impact things. They just let things happen to them. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that because that culture is a lot older than ours. Mm. Oh, I agree. Mitch, um, we don't actually understand, as you touched on before, the mind-body connection and what the body's trying to consistently teach us, you know. So we're, we're taught to over-consume in this society and, and when our, our, our body's in digestive distress and the mind's in tension and we're always trying to put that out by, by sticking something else in, you know. Um, but yeah. if you, you can be yeah. aware of what the body's going through and, and what it's trying to teach us, then that can... Um, really help um, uh, our mental health. Would you agree? Well, I, see, people get people tend to kind of think you're starting to talk about a bit of you know witch doctory when you talk about the mind and the body. But this is the this is what people fail to mention a lot of the time. The way that our subconscious, so our subconscious mind, which is I basically call our automatic mind. So mm. it's doing our breathing, heart rate, digestion. Um, all those things behind the scenes so that we can just kind of pay attention to what we want to pay attention to. It's controlling all that stuff while we're asleep. So that part of our mind is infinitely larger than the part of our mind that we're consciously aware of. Mm. Now, the way that that part of our mind communicates with the part that we're aware of, so the part that we're using here now we're talking, is through our body. So the way that our subconscious mind communicates is through releasing hormones and chemicals into our body. So when someone says that somebody's holding uh, an old trauma in their body, it sounds like it's a bit bit out there, but at the end of the day, all that is is that subconscious mind warning them about a situation by releasing 
stress chemicals into their body. Mm. So that's the way that I look at it, which is a very scientific way of looking at the mind-body connection. So um, I think there's a lot... I think we're going to go... Now that neuroscience is starting to catch up to these Eastern religions, which obviously these people have been doing this for a long time, Mm. we're starting to catch up and understand what mindfulness and what actually sitting and just just being what that's actually doing to our mind and how powerful that is Mm. so i'm looking forward to the next 20 years seeing where that goes yeah absolutely mate we've got a lot of catching up to do in many ways uh but you know there's no hack i don't believe there's no real hack the pill doesn't do it there's no fast track to this i believe it's a daily practice so you can come home you know come back to center again and with um with what you touched on there i I, I'll give you, you know a bit about my own journey, but like I I was like really stressed and anxious 11 years ago. I, like I really felt like I was going to take my life and um, I sort of yeah. arrested that through through the gym and the gym basically put anxiety on top of anxiety because I was just trying to get bigger and stronger and faster and all that. Um, and it wasn't until I started running long distance that I realised that I was just putting my body through so much just to settle my mind down. I thought, well, how about if I just sit for a while? And then I sat yeah, and then I yeah. started to feel like I did when I was a little little kid again, you know, um, yeah, yeah. fearlessly. Well, it's funny, yeah. you know, we touched on, you know, I touched on self-medicating before, but when people self-medicate, and I've, I did it for a long time, you don't make, you don't get home to make this decision, that, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to grab a, a six pack of beer and drink it because I like drinking and I like getting drunk. Mm. You do it because you're trying to numb a feeling or an emotion. Mm. So mm. for me, I would be really anxious all the time. So when I would drink or take drugs, it would make that feeling go away. Yeah. So people don't do these things to because they like the high. They do them because they don't like the feeling that they have to sit with. Mm. So, and that feeling, like I said before, there's a, little bit, there's a little bit more to it than just being some tension held in the body. What that feeling is is your subconscious mind sending you a signal to say, you know, something's not quite right. Mm. Something's not quite right. Something in the past, something that you haven't quite dealt with, it still thinks you're in that situation because you haven't properly attuned it. Mm. So our subconscious mind has a very, very, very good memory because it needs to, because the way that we evolved a long, long time ago, we needed that part of our mind to warn us of danger, otherwise it wouldn't have survived. Mm. Oh, absolutely. So it's pretty interesting when you look at it from that angle. Yeah, oh, it is, mate. But but yeah, that fight and flight is is on. You know, uh, within within a lot of us, all like consistently. I I quite often say, like males, you know, we, we wake up anxious uh, in many yeah. ways. Yeah. We, we do without yeah. sort of knowing how to settle or or, or 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 move through that, and we'll look for something to try and put that to sleep, like a coffee or whatever, which really gives us temporary happiness. But then it just sort of escalates thing later, things later on and. Uh, yeah, 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 it can be well, a vicious cycle. If you look at it from an you know an evolution point of view, every every living you know uh, male on this planet is a descendant of a male who was pretty good at, at fighting and going to war. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. When we lived in very very trying conditions, and there were only a few thousand people on the planet who really had to fight to stay alive, so every and the people that didn't stay alive, guess what? They didn't mate and they didn't, they didn't procreate. Mm. So the people that did, we are all obviously living descendants of those people. So we are all naturally very highly wired people. Mm. So it's, it, it, it's quite hard for us to live in this modern society where 
uh, where there is not really any physical challenges anymore. You know, life, until the year 1900, life is quite difficult. And then as life gotten easier and easier and easier, we're kind of struggling a little bit because we've always struggled as human beings. There's always been a struggle to stay alive. Now that we don't have that struggle anymore, we're filling that, we're filling that gap with all this other stuff. Mm. And some of that stuff that we fill it with doesn't sit very well with us. Yeah, that's exactly right, mate. That's really, really well said. Really well said. Um, yeah, I'd never really heard that terminology, but you're right. Like, I, I quite often talk about, you know, we've got an opportunity now to sort of heal the trauma that's been passed on by seven generations before us, so the next seven generations can be more self-aware. And um, if we can actually realise that, yeah, maybe great-great-great-great-grandfather was put through a lot of shit and that got passed on to his son and then his son and then his son and then my dad, then me, you know? Yes, that's right. But what people, I guess what people uh, don't really look at is there might have been, you know, there was a time when there weren't that many people on the planet. Mm. And like I said before, we are all descendants of that small group of people that's obviously evolved and grown exponentially larger. So there might have been times where uh, people lived in extremely horrific trying conditions for years on end, and there might be whole large groups of populations in the world now that we don't necessarily know it that are all descendants of those people, and now look at the way that we live now. So it's very, very hard for people who have who are descendants of people that have gone through that type of stuff to live in the, the kind of society that we have now. And some people are able to handle it and some people aren't. Yeah. And I think it's got a lot to do with, I think it's got a lot, lot to do with our genes. Yeah, oh, absolutely, but And getting back to what you said before, like, we are different. And, uh, you know, we, we can't just keep everyone in the same box and maybe give them a pill or whatever because it might not suit that individual, you know. Um, I talk, uh, talk a bit uh, about... Uh, uh, you know, young guys are going to the uh, the prison system and they're incarcerated and, uh, um, you know, they're, they're just bringing in all this tension that's been passed on and uh, they've, they've basically acted out because of that um, that trauma and we're sort of putting more trauma on top of that trauma by keeping them incarcerated. But being able to do things like have the conversation like we're having now in that particular uh, environment will actually help people um, start to, you know, become a bit more conscious about um, their anxieties and their, their anger and all those sorts of things, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, w- I won't go too much today into my philosophy on, uh, you know, on, on, on the fact that we are, you know, are we products of our, purely products of the, the structure and the hardware of our minds or is there a certain aspect of free will involved? But I think that we are far larger products of our education than anything else. So... Education isn't obviously just what happens when you go to school. It's everything that you get taught in every aspect of your life from when you're born until the moment that you're having that conversation. Mm. So I think that me sitting here and having opportunities that I've been given in life, yes, yes, I was able to turn my life around. But, I mean, a lot of that's got to do with the education that I've had. And a lot of people don't get the education that I've had. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there that don't have the, the resources that I've had available in my life. So... Mm. Um, you know, I'm very lucky, absolutely blessed to have been given opportunities I've had and the education and stuff like that. But the way I look at it with the mental health side of it, and it's why in my talks and stuff, I don't really talk that much about specifically how I beat anxiety. What I talk about is the process that I went on. Mm. I talk about the journey and the process of how I did it because 
people aren't necessarily going to be able to apply exactly what I do for my, my anxiety. But if they go on that same journey and find out what works for them, then that is that education that I'm talking about. Mm. So if they can go away and learn all the different types of things that you can do for your anxiety and try them all and stick things together and come up with a little model in their mind of what it is, then that is educating themselves in their own issues. Mm. But I just don't feel like this system at the moment where we tell people what to do, I just don't think it works. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, mate. Um, um, yeah, look, uh, the, 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 the model is very old. Uh, it's not really relevant for modern times. I, I work in the mental health system uh, at the moment and I do find some, some things really confronting and challenging because I believe that there's better ways of doing it. And, and that better way of doing it will probably evolve in 20 or 30 years' time, you know. So we're still, uh, still quite a while by, uh, way behind the eight ball. But, um, you know, we're talking about clinical psychology here. I, I sort of studied positive psychology. So being able to work more with the individual on their strengths to be able to overcome uh, imbalances and so forth rather than keeping them sort of feeling suppressed all the time. And um, I just believe that there's a lot in that and be able to work with the individual as a unique individual rather than put them into a category. Um, yeah. 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 And, mate, I really learned some valuable lessons uh, a few years back when I went and taught yoga in maximum security prison. You know, these are guys that were, like, really tense and tough. And I made, yep. you know, I got them to slow down by, by you know, holding stretches for long periods of time. And over an hour, an hour and a half, mate, they come back to this beautiful sense of soul again, the, 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 the beautiful sense of individual that they actually are without all the stuff on top of it. And they sort of say, oh, this is what it's all about. You know, I feel like me again. And, um, you know, the, the, yep. the male ego, the domination, all that type of thing, the, 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 the structure of being, uh, you know, there to, to defend yourself is quite, quite strong. But um, once you wind that all back, you get back to this pure sense of being again, mate. And, and everyone's got that connection with their heart. They're just going to try and, you know, get out of the mind to get back to that, which is a challenging thing to do sometimes. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, so, that's, so, that's so well said. Um, there's no point in me adding anything to it. I just I, I couldn't agree more with that. those types of activities that you were doing in that situation. I think getting people who haven't spent much time actually thinking about their body and movement and just, just kind of getting to, to just sit and acknowledge and feel stuff, mm. somehow getting them to do that with actually, without getting them to specifically kind of meditate, I think doing that is, is, is awesome. Mm. Mate, the, 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 the real gift is, and I really encourage you to do this when you, when you have your, your, your talks and that, just do something to make people feel safe. If they, if they feel safe and they feel engaged, then they'll, they'll start to really be proactive and open up more and more, you know. You'd look at school kids and the school kids are worrying about what, you know, the others might think about them and that sort of thing. But if you could just really do something to help them feel safe... Um, then that that's really important, and I always explain that when I when I do a class or I I, I run a workshop or I um, I teach someone individually. You know, this is a safe space you could let go. Once people like feel yeah, that letting okay. go, then the tension goes out of the mind and that goes into the body, and all of a sudden you start to you know become a, a bit more subtle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's spot on. It's it's at, at the end of the day, if you look at what anxiety is, which is it's just a Anxiety is just the mind's role in the whole fight or flight system. Mm. So there are a few different aspects to it, but obviously when your mind and your subconscious mind thinks you're in severe danger, it will release hormones and chemicals into the body to prepare you for to run or to fight. Mm. And 
in that the, the conscious mind, which is our thinking mind, its role in that whole situ- scenario, its role is to find danger. So to scan the environment for danger. So when we get anxiety, that's effectively what's happening. We're turning on that system, which is just not relevant anymore. Mm. But we're turning it on for reasons that we used to turn it on for. Like, you know, 300,000 years ago, it used to be very, very important that you were well-liked and popular in the tribe. Because if you weren't, there was never enough food, shelter, water to go around. And if you're a male, then you didn't get to mate and to continue your bloodline. Mm. So where you stood in the tribe was very, very important. Now, where we stand in the tribe in today's society does not matter anywhere near as much. But because of the advent of social media, we are now constantly comparing ourselves to other people. So subconsciously, we're getting all day we're taking these hits. All day we're taking these hits. We take in more information now in 24 hours than we did in a lifetime Mm. in the year 1900. Mm. So we're taking these hits all day and at some point we hit this threshold where our subconscious mind just goes, I'm not good enough, I'm not enough. <laughs> yeah. And then the byproduct of not feeling enough is we feel that, that tension in our bodies because that's our chemicals, that's those chemicals from the subconscious mind saying, hey, you're in danger because you're not enough because not being enough a long time ago was dangerous. Mm. So that's that feeling that pops up in our body and that's uncomfortable. So that's when we go and drink and we do drugs and we smoke and we do all those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, mate, beautifully said. Um, geez, Mitch, that's um, that. That's a great way to put it. How do you go when you like you 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 discuss this to people that are you know not aware? Like in in a group forum, is this something that you talk about with regards to like, with young people or like uh, I suppose mature adults? Is it something that they that they sort of are aware of themselves, or do they sort of find this to be really challenging? I think I. Uh, I've targeted a little bit more with the work that I do adults for the reason that I'm not sure that kids, adolescents have the, the perspective to uh, to have the, the desire and the, and the real drive to actually go and make changes to the way that you think because it's very, very difficult. Mm. You, you know, you touched on it before, like just sitting with those feelings, it is very, very hard. Mm. And I think adults, once they realise that their mindset is really impacting their lives, that's the, that's the moment when they go, okay, I'm probably prepared to put a lot of effort into it now. Mm. But before that, I'm just not sure that kids have the maturity and the perspective to go and put that much effort in. Mm. So I like working with adults for that reason. Um, I've got some talks coming up at schools with some teachers and stuff like that. But I, I just think that teaching adults who are starting to have issues in their life and are starting to struggle and it's starting to really impact their relationships, which is what life is about at the end of the day. Mm. I think teaching them the process and teaching them the, the kind of attitude that you have to have with this type of stuff, that's my favourite thing to do. Mm. So teaching them about how the fact that they're worried about what other people think is impacting their mental health so much. I like kind of when people realize that that's what they're doing because then they can start to kind of make changes to it but the thing is we're getting companies just advertising in our faces 24 hours a day now yeah so we're up against it we're up against it and every single advertising commercial in the world and this is this startled me when i found this out when i when i kind of researched this i used to think that advertising was uh was coca-cola saying coke's fantastic have a coke or Mm. um nike saying these shoes are awesome get these shoes but that's not what advertising says 
What advertising says, the subliminal message in all advertising is, you are not good enough unless you buy this product. Mm, yeah. And that was okay 20 years ago because we only saw advertising in the paper when we read it in the morning and on the news at night mm. and on the side of a bus. But now we have these phones and we are getting advertising flashed in our faces all day, every day. Yeah. Slowly we're starting to feel shitty about ourselves. Mm. It's just starting to build up but not below the surface and we're not feeling good about it. And we don't know what's happening because this is, this is new to us. This is new to our psyche. This hasn't happened to human beings before. Mm. So we really don't know how to deal with it. Neuromarketing, mate. Um, I don't know whether you, really, you, you know, but um, back in 2014, I ran a campaign to get uh, alcohol, junk food, and gambling advertising out of sport, basically because I saw sport as being plagiarised to you know, hijack or hijack to, to promote unhealthy lifestyles and unhealthy products. And, mate, I, I hit the full force of the AFL, the NRL, and, and Cricket Australia with regards to this. And I, I learned a lot about you know, neuromarketing and the... the you know, the, the, the game behind the game with regards to get people connected uh, into, you know, consuming these products. And I was one of them, yes. Mitch. I was, I was a young bug watching, um, watching AFL uh, when, when, when cigarettes were advertised, you know, cricket when yep. cigarettes yep. were advertised. Yep. And I, I gravitated towards all that. And that's what they want, mate. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's spot on. Yeah, the same, the same thing's going on behind the scenes now. But you know, I was I was talking with government about this at higher levels and saying, you know, why why are we why are we you know doing this to, to, to make people sick and mate the 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 I wouldn't say it was the answer, but it came to me that unhealthy people are good for the economy and and what happens there yep. is then is um, you know obviously they're consuming pharmaceuticals and they're going down this unconscious route still, but they've never really been made aware of the anxiety and so forth, which is behind all this. Uh, consumption well the 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 i call so this has actually happened by accident what's happened in society at the moment so the i call the age that's occurred since the gfc in 2007 until now i, I call it the age of the company mm. so what's happened since the gfc is interest rates have slowly got lower and what's happened is interest rates have got lower is companies have access to this really really cheap money so big conglomerate companies who, who, who've always tried to run the world, they're running the world because they can now market because advertising is so cheap on Instagram and Facebook and they have access to, they have access to this money at such cheap rates mm. that they are advertising so hard that it's affecting our mental health. Mm. Mm. That's what's happening behind the scenes. We're, we're, we're losing at the moment to companies. Companies are winning mm. because companies want you to feel average about yourself because people that feel average buy stuff. Mm. Mate. You see, Buddhist monks don't go to the shops and buy things because they don't need to because they already feel good. Yeah. We go to the shops once we get paid on Thursdays because we feel crappy in our jobs all week mm. because we think everybody else is living a better life than us. So we go and buy ourselves a T-shirt to make ourselves feel good. That is exactly what Meyer and David Jones want us Absolutely to do. Absolutely, they do. Absolutely, mate. Um, yeah, look, it's all, it's all about uh, putting fear into people so we can consume to feel better, you know, to give us that temporary happiness, but that doesn't last. It's only, it's only temporary as it is. And Mitch, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in working in government or you're working in a corporate business. A lot of the agenda is to keep you in fear so you can be kept controlled. And um, I just believe if people come, uh, you know, learn to be able to come back through the gears every day to come back home, like you did when you were kicking a footy around um, Lake Grace, you know, you actually do realise that all that stuff is, is just 
impermanent it's superficial and it doesn't um doesn't bring happiness or balance or, or structure to your life yes it's 100 percent right i think we've just slowly as a society gone away from being able to sit with ourselves so we've gotten to this point now where we just need to constantly be consuming that can be consuming food that can be consuming drink, that can be consuming information. Mm. We've just got to the point now where we just need to be constantly consuming stuff. Mm. And it's having a huge effect on our mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that, that's, that's, again, what they, what they want, mate. They want, us to keep, they want us to keep doing this. I've had some tremendous results with, with fasting and, and things like that. We're just giving everything a break so you can get back to, to, to normal, to balance again. And... You know, the governments don't want us to know this because if we're all sipping a meal, uh, uh, you know, often, <laughs> that's going to have a big effect on the economy. And, um, big yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we are bred to be consumers, but we just need to be conscious of this, I believe. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, but if you look at, I mean, we have, and then if we look deeper, we have, we have to look deeper than just companies want us to feel average so that we buy stuff. Why? Why do companies want us to buy stuff all the time? And the answer is simple. When the way that we've structured society now is purely based, it's based around pure greed, right? Mm. We've got all these really, really, really wealthy people who are listing their, their businesses on the stock exchange. People buy shares in their business. Now, the person's responsibility who runs that company is to increase that share price. Mm. That is their responsibility. So when you come in to run Coca-Cola, you don't, you don't just get to come in and, and run Coca-Cola and, and just keep selling Coke. You have to make sure that you are making more money. So they have to make more money. So that every single person that comes in to run a company has to take it to the next level. Mm. So these companies are just getting greedier and greedier and greedier. They don't care whether we have good or bad mental health. Mm. All they care about is selling their products. And at the moment, they're prepared to make it still average to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, look, the 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 the, the, the trick is to be strong enough and resilient enough to see it for what it is. You know, not 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 get involved in in that particular trap. Um, we 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 made, we were we were really educated, as I said, to support the economy. That's what it's all about. You know, at the end of the day, but. I just think being able to disconnect to that and, and you know, some, some of the things that you're doing by raising awareness is going to make people sort of link, look and think, well, yeah, maybe, maybe this is right. Maybe I, I do have anxiety. Maybe I can you know, peg that back quite a bit so I can become a little bit more aware of what's going on. Uh, mate, you've just got to, I don't know whether you've ever been to India, but you've just got to like walk through the streets of India and notice how many times you're trying to be sold something. Um, yeah. and that's and that's the same as what you're getting on on digital here. Um, you know, people are trying to flop, you know, stick things in your face consistently. You buy this, you buy this, but no, no, no. Same thing. We're gonna have the same mindset here consistently, and and only go to something yeah. when we when we when we you know feel it supports our well being rather than sort of takes it the other way. Yes, yeah, spot on, spot on. It's interesting. Well, so what do you do now with regards to? Um, a daily practice that keeps yourself aware and grounded? Well, I probably have a few that I use, but the thing is, and I, I used to post a exercise or an activity every morning on my Instagram account for people to, to do, and then the thing was, it would be five or ten minutes, but the thing that I'm trying to get people to, to understand is that it's not really about sitting and doing something once, it's about integrating it into your life. Mm. So... 
for me, I spend a few times throughout each day just doing different activities that calm me down and bring me back into kind of just like getting out of my head and feeling myself where I am. Mm. So there's heaps of different activities that I use, breathing activities, um, you know, mindfulness activities, meditation. There's a few different ones. There's heaps on my Instagram if people want to take a look. Yeah. And I'll just choose one and do it for one or two minutes and then I'll, a couple of hours later I'll do it again. And I'm just constantly looking for ways to bring myself back to just wherever I am. Yeah. So. When we're thinking, we're obviously taking ourselves into the future or into the past. So when we're just kind of sitting, just being and just feeling where we are, using our senses to, to feel where we are, then we're not thinking. And that gives our mind and our body a bit of a rest. And isn't it beautiful when you come back to that stillness again and actually like observe what's going on around you? You know, I, I often talk about everything in nature is just doing their business, doing what they're meant to be doing. But we're just distracted from the present moment consistently and... Um, uh, you know, I believe we have that innate knowing as we're kids, but we sort of get uh, pushed out of that um, into you know, fear, judgment, comparison, criticism. But, mate, if you can come back to the higher levels of consciousness being, you know, compassion, gratitude, kindness, um, that gets you back to feeling yourself and in the moment again. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, if you can, if you can get rid of all the baggage and actually just sit and be for a minute, you realise in that moment that we are very lucky to just even be here. Mm. Oh, exactly, yeah, um, yeah, without the identity, mate, yeah. Yeah, and just, you know, just being. And, and you know, I, I, do a, I do a meditation that I do where I pretend, I, I, I make myself believe that that meditation is all I'm ever going to do for the rest of my life. Mm. So this, like, this is it, just being here now, this is, and, and, I, and I have to find, I have to somehow find a way in my mind to enjoy that moment because... I'm like, okay, well, if this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life, I need to enjoy it. So then I try and find a way to just really be present and just really enjoy that moment. Mm, um, yeah. So I'm always looking for little things like that to do. Yeah, come back home. I have a practice I've been doing for the last, oh, well, it's been 10 or 12, 12, 12 years now, but you know, every morning it's a couple of hours. So that's, that's physical activity. Uh, and then it's sitting, uh, you know, so yep. yoga and sitting. So... I'll finish off by, by sitting, or it depends on how, how I wake up. I'll just, oh, yep. okay, I'm tense, I'll, I'll sit, you know, that through meditation, and that just gets gets everything settled. And then when I get into my movement practice, then it's more connected, I guess, you know, you're more, you're more grounded with what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's really good. And that, the, the way that you explain that to me then is exactly the type of thing that I want people to go away and find for themselves. Mm. Mm, that's oh. it. Go away and find the little things, find the routines, find the solutions, the activities, the books, the things you can watch, the people you can follow. Find them, put together this little project that can make you feel good. In, in Eastern cultures, it's called sadhana. So it's the, the ambrosial hours between 3 and 6 a.m. when your mind's most settled, where you can you know, really connect with yourself. And if you can yep. get up at that time, mate, it's honestly absolutely beautiful because there's nothing going on. There's no noise. There's, there's no disturbance. You actually see yourself as part of the world and part of stillness. Um, it's so, so beautiful. And um, once you, you hear the world waking up, you know, first you'll hear the birds, the kookaburras and that. Then you'll hear an engine and then you'll hear old mate over the road yelling and screaming. But uh, then you realize that it's all about this beautiful connection that we've all got the ability to be able to tune into 
and all the superficial stuff is just like a wave rising up then it goes down and then you sort of come back to that that calm calm stillness again it's always there mate like the world was really created for us for for beauty and and a feeling of love and joy and you know if we can come back to that often then uh, we're going to be able to live a more happy healthy uh, healthy connected conscious life I, i really believe that and that's available to all of us um, you know, we've got so much more stimulation and competition and challenge and all that these days, but just by getting back to those feelings like you described, that, that sort of sense of, of being again, I just think it's really important to overcome anxiety. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head. And it's funny, the last, this week I started a daily morning 15-minute podcast and because I live on the West Coast, I wanted to go online by... 7 a.m. on the East Coast so people can listen to it on the way to work. And so I've been doing it at 4.30 in the morning and just the peace, the peace at 4.30 in the morning is just incredible. Uh, The other day I was in the city by about 6, it was still dark, and sitting up on, you know, 100 metres metres high up on level 32 of my building where I have an office, um, was incredible watching the sun come up and just everything was quiet and I felt like it was just me. I was the only one on the office floor and I just felt like it was me and the world. Mm, absolutely, mate. And that's and available to all of us, you know. Absolutely, but I couldn't. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more than you said about that time in the morning. You know, Mitch, the sun's been going up. The sun's been going down. The moon's been coming up and down like it has forever. You know, we're just not conscious because we're so busy in our lives. And once you can get connected with the circadian rhythm of nature and actually how things are going and how all life force is evolving around this, then we can start to, you know, become more in tune with that as well. And once we become more in tune with that, then our nervous system starts to become more settled and we start to become a little bit more relaxed and that can help help overcome, you know, stress, tension, anxiety, um, all those sorts of things that, uh, that you know, get us, get us taken out of whack, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think... I haven't looked too much into it, but I, I, I have a feeling that when you consider what we do after after 7 p.m. every night, I mean, basically everything that we do is uh, modern day is modern modern day technology, isn't it? Really. So yeah. I have a feeling that you know, a long, long time ago, when we evolved, we probably went to bed a lot earlier, and we probably got up a lot earlier too. Absolutely. So I think it's a lot more natural. To, to go to bed early and get up in the hours that you're speaking about. Yeah, agree. And, uh, you know, uh, our digestive system is going to sleep, but a lot of us are sort of stimulating that. And Mitch, you, I'm a bit older than you, but I remember the pubs shutting at like, you know, 10 p.m. And, but all of a sudden they went to 1 a.m., 3, 3, 3 a.m., 5 a.m. It was just open slather. So people are eating all hours of the day and night. But back in the olden days, mate, it was just this beautiful rhythm. You know, you did things, you went, you wound down, you... You just went through this nice cycle of, of actually being in tune, uh, but now we're sort of just thrown out of whack and we've got all this you know, digital domination and stimulation around uh, our lives. So I just think being able to disconnect um, you know, towards the end of the day uh, so you can wind down so you can go to bed properly, it helps you wake up feeling fresh and you get up at those times like you, you mentioned and you actually feel really connected. Yeah, spot on. Agree. So, how can people get hold of you, Mitch? We we can talk for hours. I think we're gonna to have to do another podcast soon, but uh, we'll uh, we'll wind this one up here now, so people um, can uh, can just have uh, a bit of a snippet of what you what you're doing, and hopefully connect with you. So, is it Mr. Anxiety the website? Yeah. So www.mranxiety.com.au is the website. It's 
I use Instagram as probably the main platform for all of my content and information. So at Mr. Anxiety underscore AUS. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the, the best platform. The other one is if you want to tune in and, you know, if you want to listen to my 15 minute daily podcast, that's on, on the work days. So Monday to Friday, um, just jump onto any, you know, podcast, uh, distributor on platform and, and search for mornings with Mr. Anxiety. And, um, yeah, I just go through a little bit about my life there. We talk about anxiety and, we always do an activity to end it, just that people can people can do throughout the day. Awesome, mate. That's really, really good. You you, you should be really proud of yourself for what you're doing and uh, from where you've come from. You could be still going around in the soup of football and all that sort of stuff and not being able to, um, you know, observe and, and see what's, what's actually really going on underneath all this. But for you to be able to catch us out at 31, to be able to get to where you're now, mate, um, that's absolutely tremendous and it's going to help a lot of people out there and you know some really great things for you to come mate so i'm really really grateful for your for, for your time and, and conversation i hope um the listeners can connect with you and i'm hoping that um yeah mate uh who knows one day i think we're gonna have another conversation i think we're gonna have to catch up face to face at some point because yeah i've learned a lot from this chat and um yeah i just think we've got some We've got a tremendous um, role to play with regards to educating people about this particular topic, so I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. No, thanks very much, mate, for, for your kind words, and thanks for having me. And yeah, it'd be lovely to catch up and chat again, and um, yeah, I love, love talking to people about this stuff. I love what you're doing as well. Obviously, I grew up in the bush, so um, it's really good that people are putting time into making sure people in those areas have something that's relevant to them. Um, specifically to them. As we talked about before, it's not a one-size-all-fits with these things. So mm. it's really good that people are specialising in, in particular areas and trying to help people um, in those you know, those remote areas. So well done and, yeah, good stuff. And I look forward to, to listening to your stuff from now on. Guys, thanks very much for listening in. Mitch, what a great, inspiring young man. Some really, really good uh, content there. Um, yeah, just think about what's happened before um, your life now, some of the things that have been passed on throughout these generations, what you know, granddad went through, great-granddad and so forth. And um, yeah, lots of fear in there that might have been sort of, you know, that might have come through, which is really relevant. So you know, just, just touch on that, but also be kind to yourself and find time to sit and, uh, and do the things that actually nurture your well-being. So I really appreciate... Um, Mitch's input there. If you'd like to uh, contact me, support outbackmind.com.au website, outbackmind.com.au. And uh, yeah, just uh, keep sharing the podcast as you, as you have. I, I really appreciate uh, your support and all the people that have been uh, voting for the podcast for the Australian Men's Health Awards. So uh, that finishes this weekend. So um, yeah, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, good, uh, good to have you here. We've got some awesome guests coming on over the next few days, so keep, uh, keep listening in. Thank you. Cheers.